Welcome to the Burnout to Blessed podcast. I am your host, Tara Reinbolt, and it is my mission to help you take back control of your life, overcome burnout, and reclaim your happiness. Trust me, if I can do it, you can do it. I went from totally burned out human resources professional looking to find my purpose in life to finally kicking burnout to the curb and finding my God-led mission. If you're ready to start living your best life today, like right now, literally this second, then you've come to the right place. Consider me your own personal business and life coach. Now let's get this party started and dive into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. I'm really excited to have today's guest, Nikolai Blinno. She is a career coach and licensed counselor. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to share some hopefully really helpful information. Now, Nikolai and I have a lot in common as far as helping others beat burnout. We come at it from two different angles, and I'm really excited to introduce you to exactly what she does. So before we dive in, I want to give you a little bit of an overview of what Nikolai does. She is a career coach. She's a TEDx speaker. You have no idea how hard that is to do. So that's awesome for you. And she's a psychotherapist who integrates the physical, mental, and emotional health, highly sensitive professionals beat burnout, which that leads us to what we're going to be talking about and and how what you and I do is a little bit differently. So we're going to be talking about what it means to be highly sensitive and how being highly sensitive can burn you out, especially if you don't know it. So she's going to dive into exactly what that looks like. Um, because for most of us, a lot of us don't know if we are or not. So I'm really excited to dive in. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Do you want me to just jump right in and talk a little bit about? Yeah. Why don't we start with like, what does it mean to be highly sensitive? Maybe before we even jump into that, what led you to this work that you currently do on, on focusing on helping bring awareness to highly sensitive people. So let's start with what brought you here to, to the work that you do. And then let's dive into what it actually means. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my story is like many of our stories, long and complicated, but to summarize, how did I get to where I am today and the work that I'm doing? Um, I am the daughter of an immigrant And so I was raised growing up, um, seeing a lot of hard work in my family. Uh, My grandmother used to tell me these crazy stories about growing up in war-torn Eastern Europe, where um, the food shortage was so bad that uh, her father literally sold all of her mother's jewelry to buy potatoes. And then eventually, yeah, like crazy stuff. And then eventually when that was all gone, there were no more potatoes. They would literally go out and dig up tree roots and boil tree roots 
so that they could make soup and just basically pretend they were potatoes. So I share that because um, these are just the stories that I heard growing up was really the story of coming to America with nothing and working really, really hard to make something of yourself. And at the same time, really wanting to cultivate stability, right? Because growing up boiling tree roots for dinner and then my dedushka, which is my grandfather, um, he worked in a perfume factory by day, drove a cab by night, somehow found time to go to school and get a certificate in management in between doing those things. Stability and uh, just sort of spinning something out of hardship was in my blood. And so I worked very hard in the first half of my life to do everything right and get a very secure and stable job. Um, like so many people that I, that I see now as a career coach and a therapist, um, I checked off all the boxes. I got a job working at an Ivy League institution of higher learning because uh, I was the first person in my family to be able to go to college. And it was really important to me to support that. And then pretty quickly realized that I was not fulfilled in the work that I was doing. Yeah. Yet I had done everything right. And that was my first foray into being burnt out was realizing that I had checked all the boxes. I was burnt out and I really liked the organization that I worked for, but the day-to-day -day of the work that I was doing was not fulfilling. So that is what led me to um, up and leave my job. I made a complete career change, um, went back to school to become a therapist. Um, and through my journey as a therapist, I also became introduced to this idea of highly sensitive person, actually through one of my clients. And it really put all the puzzle pieces together for me because I had this sort of immigrant mentality of working hard. Um, mm -hmm. But also along the way, I've always been a super intuitive, sensitive person, which is why I think I... I struggled with feeling fulfilled at a desk job. Nothing wrong with a desk job, but I've come to learn now that a lot of highly sensitive people, we really like to do work that feels very high value, high integrity to us. And mm -hmm. I, I don't really have that. So um, now I take all of that life experience, all of that professional experience, and I meld it together. And I help other burnt out and highly sensitive professionals um, figure out what works for them in terms of finding fulfillment in your career, because our careers are such a big part of how we spend our time and a big part of who we are. And I don't think any of us should have to suffer in the name of success. Absolutely. We spend so many hours, the majority of the out of our waking hours uh, mm -hmm. in our careers. So to push through and just to keep on doing and going through the motions can be very detrimental to our mental health. If we're going to continue to do that over an extended period of time. And it sounds like you were able to catch that about yourself before it got any worse and then decided to chase that curiosity of I'm not fulfilled and I'm going to go and do something that 
I think will fulfill me. So let me ask you a, a question. You mentioned that you knew you were burned out and that you weren't fulfilled at the time. Were there any other signs that things were off, that you were burned out, or was it the big piece of the puzzle feeling like there's got to be more to life than this? I'm not fulfilled. You know, you had a lot of questions. Walk me through that. Yeah, I think it was kind of a combination of traditional burnout stuff, which I'm sure you've talked to your audience about and we can get into, Mm -hmm. and also sort of bigger picture. Um, When I was at my my dream job, air quotes, you know, like the job that I thought I wanted so badly. I definitely had a history of suffering from a lot of tension headache, which now looking back, I know were definitely symptoms of burnout, but I'm not sure if at the time I was so aware that I was in this cycle of burnout. Um, But I think that was my body's way of saying that this way of working is not working for you. So I had a lot of tension headaches. I just remember, so Harvard Business Review, they did this study in 2018 that showed that one in five people is burnt out and yet still highly engaged. Mm-hmm. And I was always that person, right? I was the person at work who was like the gold star student or the gold star employee where I was always crushing goals. I was always getting um, pats on the back and and already starting to move up in my career and have good opportunities and and make meaningful sort of change and impact at the place where I was. And I think honestly, those kinds of people who are burnt out are the most at risk because on paper, like I looked fantastic. And I think that actually made it harder at the time to recognize that I was actively burnt out because I was still really performing super well. But what happened is for my birthday one year, I decided to book a solo trip to go to Costa Rica. And one of my friends actually ended up piggybacking on that, but we, we stayed separately. And I just remember Uh, Because this is my moment to just sort of connect with myself over my birthday. And I went to Costa Rica. And one thing that really struck me was how happy and fulfilled so many people that I interacted with were, no matter what they did. You know, it didn't matter if they were serving you a sandwich or working in a little shop. They were so happy. And... I came back from that trip and I just knew that's what I wanted more of, right? I wanted my day-to-day life to be so fulfilling. Um, But I also knew I wanted my work to be part of that because circling back to the whole immigrant narrative, like I actually really do like working. Hard work in some ways is in my veins and I could never picture myself as someone who wouldn't want to work because I love showing up for my clients. I love having an impact. You know, I, I love being able to have meaningful contributions in the world, but I wanted it to work for me too. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned your upbringing too, because I know when I personally burned out and I took a step back from my corporate career for a long time, I kind of thought that 
part of my DNA that loves to work. That's a high achiever and that, you know, wants to succeed. And as a result, there was that resistance there because I was really fighting against who I am personally, which it sounds like, you know, you realize that about yourself and work that into the plan. Whereas for, for a while I resisted that. And then finally everything started to shift for me personally, when I embraced that and moved to the model that you are talking about, which is, you know, in order to be my most happy, fulfilled self, I need to embrace that about myself, but I need to make it work for me so Mm -hmm. that I um, can be happy and can be fulfilled because that trip that you took to Costa Rica, it sounds like it was an eye opener of, Hey, you know, people are actually happy. You know, my reality that I'm currently in is not just, it's not necessarily normal, even though on the surface, everyone's kind of dealing and struggling with the same thing. So it feels normal, but yet you were able to step out of that reality and see, well, well, wait a minute, I can be happy. It is possible. Yeah. And I think be happy while still showing up for my career, be happy while still sort of working towards goals. I think sometimes we live in this duality where we think we have to choose between success or happiness. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to find that middle place where I could feel successful and happy. I didn't have to feel like I was selling my soul in the name of success. I hear that a lot. You know, it's like we choose, you know, money or happiness, for example. And it's like, well, why can't you make a meaningful living while also being happy? Why do you have to forsake one in favor of the other? Absolutely. And I think that's part of, like you mentioned that, you know, on the surface, you, you know, checked all the boxes, Mm -hmm. everything was going great for you and your career. And then you also mentioned that those are the type of people that when they're in burnout are more susceptible to continuing down that burnout path because they're performing at such a high level that they're able to still um, function. Whereas Mm -hmm. other people that are burned out and are not performing at that high of a level, the consequences to their actions are very much in their face versus Mm -hmm. to the high performer like yourself it's not, the consequences aren't necessarily front and center. So it's harder to want to make that transition or even to look at your life, you know, from that lens of, I think I need to make some changes here. Absolutely. You know, like for me, I shared attention headaches. It was so easy to have attention headache, you know, every once in a while and miss work, but think like, well, that's not so big a deal, right? Because I'm still you know, I'm well-respected at work. I'm working on programs that um, I feel good about. I have good relationships with my colleagues. So what's, you know, being bedridden and physical pain for a day every once in a while, easy to shrug that stuff off. Yeah, absolutely. And I know so many do until it becomes, like you said, until they go further and further down the rabbit hole. And then the consequences are more in your face than they were. So walk me through, you left what you were doing then to go pursue being a psychotherapist. Is that correct? 
Yeah. So I was with my partner, who's now my husband at the time, and we had just started dating. So I was actually um, making decisions between do I join the Peace Corps? Because I did AmeriCorps before, which is like the Peace Corps, but you stay in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, do I do the Peace Corps so I can go, you know, have a meaningful impact in the world and do a bit of a reset? Or um, do I want to stay here because I just met my partner and figure out then how can I still have the kind of impact that I wanted? So that led me, I decided to stay, obviously, because I'm still here. And that led me to basically decide to be a therapist. And really what I did, and I'm not saying this is the approach for everybody, um, I kind of ripped the Band-Aid off. So um, I knew I wanted to be a licensed mental health counselor. I researched programs where I would get my training. Um, And then because I always try to find balance, again, coming back to that immigrant mentality of growing up uh, with with nothing and having to build from nothing. Uh, What I did was I applied for grad assistantships, which is basically if you get a grad assistantship, you can um, go to school for free, but you work for the school. And I said, if I get one, I'm gonna quit my job and I'm gonna go back to school full time because I wanted to be able to get into my new career ASAP. I just didn't want to be one of those part-time people who is working full-time, going to school at night, and then, you know, starting my new life in like seven to 10 years. I wanted it now. So I got a grad assistantship. I quit my full-time job. Just, I guess, took a bit of a trust fall, but a responsible, intentional trust fall. And then I just banged out my, my master's degree over the course of about two to three years. And then I had to do clinical training, which is another about two years. And then I had to sit from my licensure exam and get licensed. And that was sort of the point where I could actually like, start my business, right? Be a practicing therapist under sort of my own self, not working for healthcare clinics or under sort of um, other corporations. So it was a long road in some ways. And I guess really happy that I did decide to just up and quit so I could bang the first half of it out very quickly because it was not a short process to be quite honest. Yeah. And so walk me through your thought process on that, because I know so many people, they know, like you Mm -hmm. said, that that fulfillment that like, I know I'm meant for more and this isn't it feeling right. It kind of takes over us, but all of these thoughts of I'm too old, it's going to take too long. It's going to be too complicated. It's going to cost me money. A lot of times those factors jump into our mind and stall us out from choosing the path that we know is the best path to take, but it just seems too complicated. So many people just abandon it and continue down the path that they're currently on and unhappy, unfulfilled, all of the above. So what pushed you to take that leap of faith? Yeah, I think what I would call it is um, using my wise mind. And this is something that I talk about with my own clients all the time. Um, your wise mind is the synthesis 
between your emotional mind and your rational mind. And I think a lot of times we're flip-flopping between the two. So my emotional mind knew I wanted more. My emotional mind knew I couldn't sign up for 40 or 50 more years of a desk job, right? To me, that felt suffocating. But rationally, there were a lot of reasons why that could be a really great idea or a really terrible idea. I had, my God, working at an Ivy League institution, um, I had full benefits. Like I tell people back in the day, my health insurance, my employer paid it 100%. You never see that anymore, right? <laughs> These are the things that show the times we're in. Like I didn't have to pay a dime for my health insurance. My employer covered it in full. And there was a 403B match. And, you know, I, I had really great time off packages. Like I had really great, there were really great perks to working where I worked and to the hard work that I'd already done. So there was a, a lot of reasons why I could have easily stayed in that job, right? Mm -hmm. And if I listened too much to the rational part of my brain, I would have probably done that, but my emotional self would still be screaming at me this is just not enough. So your wise mind being that in-between space where you're listening to both your emotional <laughs> and your rational self, what my wise to mind told me is you have to get out, but you have to get out with intention and you have to have a bit of a safety net, right? Like I didn't just up and quit my job without a plan. Mm-hmm. And I'm not to say that for some people that doesn't work, right? But for me, it was, okay, if I can get this assistantship so that I'm not acquiring extra debt so that I can get my degree, well, then it's sort of worth leaving the stability for this investment in my future self. And I've used that or made decisions like that along the way all throughout my career because I ended up having to walk away from a job again once I made my career change and I had to make the decision, do I stay in like a healthcare clinic? Mm -hmm. Again, traditional cushy job, corporate setting where I have a lot of stability and predictability or do I go out on my own? And that was another wise mind choice for me where again, emotional part was like, I just wanted even more freedom. I wanted even more flexibility. Rationally, again, I was walking away from a lot. And so in that situation, years later, my wise mind choice was, again, leave with a plan. Yeah. So I started my business and basically set a deadline for myself. I was going to do this for three to six months where I was working full time and also started my business. And during that time, I was going to set up like a financial safety net. So that when I quit my job, my real job, I had sort of a financial bank account I could fall back on while I was building my business. I love that because it's funny, you and I, the foundation essentially of what we do of helping people with burnout is the same, but we come at it from two totally different angles. And you're an example of how it should be done. And I'm an example of ultimately, you know, to highlight for the audience, what you did was keyed into that. There's got to be more to this and I'm going to pursue that. but 
in order to do that, I'm going to make a plan mm-hmm. and I'm going to follow that plan in order for me to feel comfortable doing it because yes, it is scary. And then for me, I'm one of those that ignored those feelings until I hit a brick wall and was like, enough is enough. And the emotional mind was all that took over for me. And that's when I decided I'm done. I'm not going back. I can't do this. And I don't ever recommend that to anyone. I recommend the route that you, that you took, which was let's, key into what's going on and then make a plan so that it makes sense instead of ignoring, ignoring, because if you do ignore, you're going to end up where I did, which was your emotional brain is going to be in the driver's seat. And that's the brain that makes super irrational decisions. Mm. And then you have to put up with the consequences on the back end. And it's only going to cause you more stress versus Mm -hmm. the way that you did it, which was, I'm going to minimize my stress by a not ignoring that voice in my mind that is going to continue to scream if I don't listen to it. But B, I need to take a create a plan in order to cause me to be able to do it without the stress or to at least minimize it. So I love that we have two different contrasts here of what, of of what to do, what versus what not to do. (laughs) Yeah. And notice here we both are right. So sometimes that happens. We just, we get so burnt out or so overwhelmed that our emotional mind just hijacks us. Right. And you know, that's life. Um, I do think that the more we can sit in that space where we're listening to our emotional self more instead of less, instead of pushing it away and we're synthesizing that with what makes sense. I do think that's a sweet spot where our decision-making is the best and we can feel our best with the least amount of disruption. I love it too, because if you don't really key into that, going to have one screaming at the other, you know, if you only pay attention to the rational or only pay attention to the emotional and a large amount of tension is going to feel stressful for anyone. Mm -hmm. And it's so much energy that gets taken up by us fighting within our own selves, really. So true. Now walk me through When you were going through the program and studying to be a psychotherapist, walk me through, you know, the highly sensitive, is that where it was first introduced or did you kind of come across this on your own and then utilize the principles that you, you know, learned from going through Uh, the program and through working with different clients along your clinicals? Yeah. So um, it's interesting when, when you go through training to be um, a psychotherapist, a lot of it is theory, which is sort of behavioral scientists who came before you and what they have discovered and practice, which is really just learning the skills in terms of how do you help people? Mm -hmm. Um, but in regards to who are the people that you actually want to help, there's not that much guidance on that. It's all about 
cultivating your ethical compass to make sure that you're doing good work with people and you understand the research and the science and the different approaches that are available to you more than, you know, who are the specifics of the clients. And also I think because of, I don't know if this is different in other um, training programs, but where I live, you're also sort of influenced by where are you practicing your clinicals, right? So where are you basically Mm -hmm. stationed and therefore like, who are the people that you are seeing? Um, And that gives you really great experience, but it might not introduce you to all of the different struggles that people have. I was introduced to the idea of um, highly sensitive people actually by one of my own clients um, years ago who was telling me about this book that they read so people can look it up. It's called The Highly Sensitive Person. It was written by Elaine Aaron in the early 1990s, um, but there are still other people who, who research it after Dr. Aaron. And so I never even heard the term, honestly. But as I researched it more, I saw a lot of myself in in that kind of person. And also I see a lot of my clients tend to be highly sensitive people. Um, And I think the reason that sort of, I was not introduced to highly sensitive people in my original clinical practice is because in the psychotherapy world, we're operating under a medical model. And so we're very focused on diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So if you think about it, like if you had diabetes, right, and you went to the doctor, they're going to be focused on like, Tara has diabetes, what can we do to treat her diabetes? Mm -hmm. They're not going to be focused on like, who is Tara as a person? Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And highly sensitive people, that's more about like, who are we as people? Mm -hmm. And yes, those qualities and the genetic makeup of being a highly sensitive person, I do believe it can leave us more susceptible to being anxious or being depressed, which is what will put you in the therapy office with the clinical diagnosis. Mm -hmm. But you're not naturally going to end up in a therapy office saying, oh, I'm a highly sensitive person. And that's my problem. Because it's not a problem. It's who you are. But it's just like so many things in life, that component of who you are can be an asset, but it also can leave you susceptible. That makes sense. And two, you just touched on, it's just who you are. And I think that there's so many different elements as to each of our personalities that we don't necessarily equate to holding us back, keeping us stuck or propelling us and and moving us forward. And I think so much of that has to do with, you know, society and what we learn in school and what is of value and, and what's not of value. And I think that looking at the emotional side of us and, and how we think and how we process, it's just not something that is talked about. And therefore no one has, I, I don't think the information in order to even put that into context when you go see someone such as yourself, like, oh, I'm a highly sensitive person because it's just not something that's like a concept that's talked about. So Mm -hmm. I love that you're talking about it because the more we can talk about these things, the more people can connect the dots as Mm -hmm. to, oh, wow, that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, and statistics show that about 15 to 20% of people in the world are highly sensitive. And so if you think of that in terms of the entire world's population, it's a really good amount of people. But if you think about it in terms of our lived day-to-day experience, it comes out to about one in five people is highly sensitive. So it's easy if you're a highly sensitive person to feel misunderstood or to not even have that concept that you're talking about because you might not be surrounded by other highly sensitive people or environments that are really conducive to highly sensitive people. And so you might end up feeling as a result, a little sort of, one of my clients calls it being the frenzied crazy person. Yeah, and you're always making stuff happen, you know, but you just feel that like low level frenziedness um, just because you don't know sort of about your own self and your nature and how to protect and channel that. I love that. So walk me through what are some of the characteristics mm. that are a highly sensitive person? What would, what does that look like? Yeah. So obviously with the term highly sensitive, people equate that to emotional sensitivity and a lot of highly sensitive people are naturally more emotional people, mm-hmm. but that is not all that it is. And it also is not the only way that people experience sensitivity. Um, Highly sensitive people also tend to be very naturally intuitive. Okay. They're the kinds of people who are really good at walking into a room, feeling the energy of a room and just sort of knowing what needs to be done. Oh yeah. That's good. I feel like I'm part of that. I feel like I have a definitely a highly sensitive person. And I love that we're talking about this because I don't mean to cut you off, but it's one of those things that I knew growing up mm-hmm. that something was different about me mm-hmm. and I could never put my finger on it. And now that you're talking, you know, me through this, it's starting to like, oh, wow, that, that, that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's naturally intuitive. Um, they tend to be great people, people, although sometimes highly sensitive people might say they have a love hate relationship with that because they're also really good at not just problem solving, but sort of looking at a person and figuring out, okay, like, how are you feeling? Is there something I can do to sort of help you do? For example, if you're in a a conference room and a person looks like they're cold Right. The highly sensitive person is the person who's capable of saying, oh, that person looks uncomfortable. Let me go ask them, is the temperature okay here? You want me to turn it up? You want me to turn it down? You know, do you want a blanket? Whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But they're really good at reading rooms. They're really good at reading people. Sometimes to a fault where they might see problems that people aren't even aware of yet. Right. So they might see something that needs to be addressed, but the person or organization may not even know that it's a problem yet, uh, which is super fun to be able to sort of see things that other people can't see. So it's a blessing, but you definitely have to finesse how you navigate that. Um, And also sometimes are more sensitive, even just to external stimuli. So I always tell people, I had a year where I went to two different destination weddings and they were both in Vegas. And as a highly sensitive person, 
I was so excited to come back because just like the lights and the sounds of the constant slot machines, like in the moment, it's fine. But when I come home, I can just feel how happy my body is to just yeah. be in peace and quiet. That makes you sense. Know? Mm-hmm. And those are signs of sensitivity too, that it's not always emotionally sensitive. It's just even sensitive to lights, sounds, textures, tastes. I have a lot of people, it's funny, the more I talk about it, who tell me stories about being children and just saying, oh, I can't tell you how many fights I had with my mom because she used to want me to wear these like tights. And I hated wearing those tights. <laughs> and so I would tell her I'd wear the tights, but I had to cut the toes off because they just annoyed me so badly. And so stuff like that can be a sign of sensitivity that doesn't seem like it's necessarily super important, but it's an indicator of just sort of how your nervous system processes information. I feel like highly sensitive people, our nervous systems are just on hyperdrive. And that's why we're so intuitive and we're so aware and we're great at reading the room. But it also means we can fatigue a little bit more easily because we're always taking in, taking in, our nervous systems are constantly sort of flicking on and off. And so that can be tiring or, you know, overwhelming sometimes. Absolutely. And that makes sense why highly sensitive people report that they can become anxious or Mm -hmm. depressed because taking in, you know, the, the blessing piece of, of being able to read the room and be being able to problem solve and, and successfully navigate that where many people don't have that. Of course, it's going to be fatiguing because it's taking up so much of our energy. We're feeling all the negativity, but we're putting out positivity. And after a while, you know, that definitely, I think is, it's a mentally draining at times, physically draining, like you mentioned. So I can see it being that blessing, but also, you know, the, the fatigue and the anxiousness that comes about from, from being able to see the blind spots that others, you know, can't see. And then too, I actually, now that you mentioned that anxiousness, I've never really considered myself an anxious person, but there's been many times, you know, throughout my career that I've been able to see a lot of blind spots and companies that I've worked for. And one thing that I need to work on is being able to finesse the message of here's how we can problem solve. Here's how we can do better because so oftentimes I would run into leadership that would be like, oh, it's too complicated. Things are working out fine how they are. And it would stress me out. It would put me into a state of anxiousness because I knew uh, what was going to happen down the road, which was not going to be good for any of us. <laughs> but like you said, that being able to finesse and being able to still, you know, make some of those changes, um, knowing that in mind and having that resistance from others. I mean, that's, that's draining. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of work when people push back. And I think a lot of highly sensitive people do have that experience, especially Mm -hmm. in the professional sector, because they can see those things that to us feel so obvious. Yeah. I think a lot of highly sensitive people go like, what is, are you kidding me? It's so easy. Like all you got to do is this, this, and this. And like, here's what could be so fantastic. Um, And we have a hard time remembering and recognizing that most people actually don't have that ability. And so 
we have to sort of bring them on board. Um, but I think when we see things so clearly and other people don't, it can feel like the old cliche of butting your head up against a wall. Oh yeah. And 100%. that's not fun for us, you know? No. <laughs> and it's not good for the organization because really if we can finesse it, then everybody benefits, right? Because we get to enact meaningful change. We get to have relief and the organization can have great benefit. Absolutely. And you know, that's interesting. That's partly why I left corporate was because I didn't feel like playing the political games Mm -hmm. that were required in the corporate setting in order to make the changes that I always thought were so obvious, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I didn't feel like playing that diplomacy, uh, and, you know, feeding into egos and all of that, that, um, is required at times, you know, working in the office, you know, as an HR professional, it's very easy for me to help others do it, but I felt like I just did not have the energy to do it anymore. So I wanted to do things on my own terms so that I didn't have to be into that place. Like you talked about a finessing it in order to move the needle. I didn't feel like I, I had the energy to do it anymore. And I frankly didn't want to do it anymore, but I didn't really realize until we're having this conversation that I had a lot to do with just me being a highly sensitive person and just seeing the world through a different lens than most people see. So very cool. I'm glad that we're having this conversation. I love it. (laughs) So now that we've kind of talked about, I mean, it totally makes sense as to you kind of bringing the world on to your shoulders in order to try to fix it in some ways, right? I get the feelings of anxiousness, depression, and a whole slew of, of different information of, um, issues such as burnout. Right. So what are some of the things that highly sensitive people are some of the traps that they, they fall into just due to the fact that that's just how they're wired. What does that look like? Yeah. I think a lot of highly sensitive people, um, because we have that natural intuitiveness, take on too much, not even being asked, but you see problems that are so clear that it's easy to just automatically jump into problem solving mode. Mm-hmm. And, and we just can't do everything. Um, True. <laughs> right. Also trying to like be all the things for all the people. I know a lot of highly sensitive people because they have that intuitiveness it's really common for people to come to you for guidance or mentorship, right? But you're trying to do your job and also sort of guide other people professionally or personally. But then also because you're such a great listener and you're so great intuiting, not just in the workplace, you might have coworkers or friends and family who also just want to vent upon you, mm-hmm. which is like a different kind of guidance. Um, and carrying all of that, right? is just a lot, especially when as sensitive people, our nervous systems are already being sort of supercharged every day. I think we really have to pick and choose where our energy goes and not just our physical energy, but like our mental and emotional energy. 
Absolutely. So that leads me to my next question. What do you do to protect yourself from burnout as a highly sensitive person? Yeah, I think the, the cliche uh, therapy self-help answer will be boundaries. I think we have to learn as highly sensitive people, remembering that boundaries are not just things that we set or things that we enforce to the world around us. Boundaries are things that also hold space for us, right? Boundaries are like a container of protection. And so I think we have to, first of all, hold our own boundaries and be our own sort of best asset in terms of that. Because a lot of highly sensitive people, if I'm honest, they could be better, right? They'll be the first person to say like, I should have boundaries with my clients, but you know, sometimes I just start a project at 5.45 at night and sucks me in. And all of a sudden I'm on the computer until seven or eight. Yeah. Nobody made you do that. No. You know, like we've made that choice. Yeah. We're, we, we are our own worst enemies at some points in time, essentially. Right? And, and you a have lot to know of- that about yourself so that you don't fall into that trap, even though it feels so normal. And part of who we are, like, just like we're highly sensitive people. (laughs) Yeah. And I think especially what I notice with my own clients is when you're excited or you're really motivated about something, sometimes that's the most slippery slope in terms of letting our boundaries slip is, you know, you get excited. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to like do this new project, grow my business, but I'm already doing these five other things, but Woo, it's such a great idea. And now I'm like chasing an idea, but I also trying to do all the other things that my business requires to run. I mean, I've done it, right? So like, I'm always having to hold my own boundaries by using that wise mind that I talked about earlier to just say like, what makes sense now? Mm -hmm. Can't do all the things. Does this really cool idea need to happen right now? Does it fit with my bigger picture? And that requires me to hold my boundaries with myself, protect my energy and channel it where it's most effective. Yeah, definitely. I find that to be true as well. The motivation, the inspiration is the most slippery of slopes because you feed off of that energy and you Mm -hmm. want to take advantage of it. And for us, you know, problem solvers and high achievers of the world, we know that it can go away. So we want to take Mm -hmm. advantage of it while it's here. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think too, it's important to say that if you're a highly sensitive person, if you consider yourself a problem solver, or if you're a high achiever, the odds of you being able to tap back into that are pretty great. You're going to be able to tap back into that. And that's one thing that I think in the moment is easily forgotten because you're just so excited, but clearly you've fallen into this trap many times before, which is probably in some way, shape or form, you know, walked you into burnout, but ultimately you have the capability that a lot of people don't have and can tap into that. So harness that, right? And trust, trust that like that is a quality about who you are. And so we have to face our fear sometimes, I think when we're boundary setting and like face our fear that we're going to lose something great and trust ourselves that like we can re-engage with that or another even better idea will come. And it's a bit of a, 
a trust fall into our own selves. Yeah. I love that too, because really evidence probably shows too, that you've been able to do it before. So what Mm -hmm. makes you think that you won't be able to again, you know, of course it's that trust. Like you said, you have to trust that you can, and you will. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So how do you channel it? I guess that's my last question. How do you channel being a highly sensitive person so that it's going to be able to work to your advantage, but not burn you out? Yeah. I think that it starts with that protectiveness first. Like I think when we put the boundaries up within ourselves Mm -hmm. and then the world around us, then we have more emotional energy to think about what matters to me. A lot of my highly sensitive clients say, um, I feel like I didn't realize it, but I was living in a very low level of survival mode. A lot of the time Mm -hmm. I was in reactive mode. And so when you think about it, any being that is existing in survival mode is not even going to think about how to channel their energy. They're just trying to, you know, get away from whatever is stressing them. Think about channeling your tendencies and your energy is a, is a luxury, air quote, when you are feeling like you're in survival mode. So I think we have to come out of survival mode, protect our energy first, and then to channel it, use sort of what I would call the wise mind, which I've been talking about. But for other people, they might call it their intuition. I think so often we exist in the overly rational part of ourselves where Mm -hmm. we only think about what makes sense and we don't think about what do I actually care about. And so I think when we channel our our energy, it has to be, again, both of those things. It has to be what makes sense and what makes me happy. Mm -hmm. You're only doing what makes sense. You're only using your energy for something that you actually are not connected to. I don't think it's actually going to benefit you or be sustainable. Like, you know, if I could make a lot of money selling pencil erasers, right. And I can make $200,000, $300,000 a year selling pencil erasers. That might make sense, but I'm not passionate about pencil erasers. Right. <laughs> so I'm not going to be able to channel my energy into that ever because there'll always be a part of me that's just feeling like, why? Yeah. So ultimately what you're saying is step one, come out of that survival mode yes. and, and then you're going to see the benefits mm-hmm. of that space that you're holding for yourself to tune into mm-hmm. what it is that you really want. And then use mm-hmm. that energy to propel you forward because mm-hmm. If you're so focused on surviving or on the rational, you're ultimately working against yourself. You're, you're pushing against the, the energy, you know, Mm -hmm. like you don't in your soul, you're like, I don't want to do this. This sucks. Mm -hmm. Even though it makes sense. Mm -hmm. So you're never going to reach that sweet spot that you talked about your true potential because you're going against yourself in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So in order to tap into that though, you need to come out of the survival mode and give yourself the space to see just how powerful your, your brain really is. Mm, absolutely. I love it. That makes total sense. And then too, you know, I know for so many 
of people that are in burnout. Sometimes they're in that overwhelmed survival mode and things just feel so much and so difficult, like any small little change, right? And what we talked about and what you've just, you know, walked us through, it's very straightforward. It's very simple in concept of like, let's come out, let's take the steps to do that. And then we can go from there. Um, And I think sometimes that's what people need to hear in order to just take the first next step instead of feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to have it all figured out and it's going to be a lot and blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that's all scary, right? But the idea is it's okay if you don't have it all figured out right away. You know, if you can step back and you can protect your energy, you will have that much more energy to then figure it out from. So true. I love it. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So this conversation, we've really come full circle and, and how you got into this and then, you know, why you're passionate about it. And I'm super excited to have this conversation. It's been very insightful for me personally, and therefore I know it will be for the audience as well. So I'm definitely going to have all of your links, you know, in the show notes on where everybody can find you as as well as the book you mentioned, The Highly Sensitive Person. I'll have the link in there as well. But um, I know some people might be not 100% sure about, you know, are am I highly sensitive? Am I burnt out? Because one thing we talked about is just this normalcy uh, of looking around and thinking, oh, what I'm experiencing is normal. Mm-hmm. And that, that might not be the case. So mm-hmm. you have... A, a quiz that people can utilize to really identify, you know, do you fall into this category? Are you burned out? So can you walk us through what it is that they're going to, you know, get out of that and, and what that is? Absolutely. So um, if you go to my website, the address is www.fromburnouttobalance.life. Um, And if you scroll down just about maybe a third of the page down towards the top, you'll see I have a, are you burning out quiz for highly sensitive people? Um, And it will literally ask you, it's quick. So it doesn't take that much time. It's about 10 questions. Um, And it will ask you questions that will help you determine, are you burnt out? Are you highly sensitive? Um, But what's really great about the quiz is um, after you take the quiz, it'll give you your score, but it will also give you, based on your answers, very specific little bits of information about burnout and high sensitivity, um, and even some really beginning coaching tips, right? So if you're like, I don't even know where to begin, um, you can take it, you can learn more about yourself, but... Uh, you can also get some beginner strategy because I think it's important to know about ourselves, but also many of us as very motivated people, we want to know, well, what do I do about it? Absolutely. And that's the key factor too, I think, is that, you know, once we figure it out, we want to go, go, go. And mm-hmm. ultimately you've walked us through some very straightforward techniques on that. And then also they can get more of that by taking that quiz. So 
Awesome. I'm really excited for everyone to go grab that. And um, I appreciate having you on. And before we go, is there any place, you know, that you hang out that you want people to connect with you on? Yeah. So I will share. I always tell people, honestly, the best place to find me is on my website. Um, And that is because as a highly sensitive person, I try and protect my energy by um, putting most of my time in front of my clients, right? So most of my time goes to my clients. Um, My website is my little sort of safe space on the web. Um, And again, that's from burnout to balance.life. But I also am on Instagram. Um, You can find me at Nikolai Diana. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook. If you type up, um, Nikolai Blino LMHC, you can find my Facebook page. Um, I do have a private group for, um, highly sensitive and burned out professional women where people can just hang out and get support from each other. So try to create different avenues for different people based on where they're at. I love it. So awesome. I'll have all of those links in the show notes. That way it's super easy to just click and, and get in touch. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the burnout to bless podcast. I hope that you found value in today's episode and I pray that you will make the commitment to take back control of your life and that God will give you the courage to move forward to live the life that you were meant to live. If this episode at all inspired you, please do me a huge favor and subscribe to the Burnout to Bless podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast and leave me a review. By subscribing, you'll be the first to be notified when new episodes air. And by leaving a review, you'll help this podcast get noticed and hopefully change someone's life. If you're ready to take the next step to overcome burnout and live the life of your dreams, email me at coachinginfo at burnout, B-U-R-N-O-U-T, the number two, blessed.com. Again, that's coachinginfo at burnout, the number two, blessed.com to learn more about my customized coaching programs. Now remember... Rome was not built in a day. All you need to do is take it one step at a time, my friends. And I promise you, you will get to your destination. Until next time.